Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right, go for it. Good morning, everyone. It's the one and only V, the Grill Economist, and we have the none other than the man of the hour, the one and only London Paul. Paul, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Yeah, good morning, V, uh, and good morning and afternoon and evening to anyone else listening. Yeah, we're we're very well. We're we're in the Netherlands currently, so we're uh, we we're, we're having a great time. Well, just doing not a lot and being with Lisa's family, so it's very very nice to be here. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and, Paul, my, and my Dutch is slowly improving. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's good, man. That's good. <laughs> oh man! So where but do you want to begin, Paul? Uh, I've been good. Okay, well, good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Obviously, that's why we kind of weren't around on Monday. We had a bit of a technical problem where I couldn't guarantee the connection would stay. <laughs> so I thought we better move it till the back end of the week but uh, yeah. yeah where should we start anyway we're sort of digressing well we i think we have to start with china because i mean i think there's a number of points worth i know we've talked about the whole uh, tariff situation and and why it's an extremely unwise decision that's been made by the trump administration but i think we can take it on a whole new level a bit further and why this is a bad decision but um i think it was cj mentioned it uh, earlier just to do with foreign direct investment deals that China's completed in the US. And what's most telling from my perspective is in, it seemed to be, you know, going swimmingly in the first half of 2017, where there was around 25, 26 billion, uh, in, you know, investment value and around sort of 70, 80, whatever deals, transactions. And that had been pretty much the way it had been through part through the second half of 2016 and okay the investments sort of ramped up through 2014 15 16 but in terms of transactions it's been pretty stable since about 2014 and then it but where it suddenly went very strange was in the second half of 2017 the wheels utterly fell off of chinese you know direct foreign direct investment because the investment sums dropped from what 26 billion to around 5 billion the transactions halved so already you could see china's going hang on they knew something was in the wind and they obviously weren't happy about this and now what's happened in the first half of 2018 it's absolutely cratered i mean the number of transactions is about 20 and the investments about a billion dollars so you've seen you know a a fall of 26 billion in, and to 1 billion in, in sort of investment value in the space of, well, a year or so, which straddles the second half of 2017, first half of 2018. Now, from my perspective, that is a clear indication that the China has some serious concerns in terms of putting direct investment in, in the US, which is, of course, an extremely bad move for the United States in the process because they need as much Chinese investment as possible. 
Now, it, it goes even a stage further because historically, obviously, there's Chinese businesses that invest in the US, as we know. Now, typically, it's always been a significant proportion of these companies basically reinvested profit in the US or reinvested the majority of their profits in, in the US. And not what we actually started to see in 2018 is there's less money being, there's less, you know, inv investing all the profit, less investing in a majority. There's a bigger slice, a significantly bigger slice where the majority of the profits being transferred to China and compared to 2017 and the first half of 2018, there's a 300% increase in profit that's now being transferred back to China, which is another very damning statistic from the US's perspective because what it clearly shows is China's not prepared to invest money in the US and they're actually going to take a significantly larger proportion of profits out either take it back to China or reinvest that profit somewhere else. And obviously in the process, whatever they're going to do, they're either going to spend the dollars and buy more assets or they're just going to take the dollars and they'll buy gold or they'll buy silver or they'll buy some of the hard assets. So they're more and more increase of them dumping dollars in the process. Now, they're two, they're two pretty concerning things, but the, perhaps what's even a bigger concern is the fact that Trump obviously said, well, we're going to have tariffs on 50 billion. And the Chinese responded and said, okay, we'll do likewise. And we said this was what would happen. And that's exactly what did happen. And then he said, well, we'll make it 200 billion. And the Chinese go, okay, well, we'll do the same. Oh, well, I'll do another 200 billion. Okay, well, we'll do the same. Except the problem the Chinese have from that, in that perspective is they're almost running out of options on goods that they can put tariffs on in terms of US imports because of obviously this trade imbalance. So what other options does China have? And some of them could be far more severe than putting tariffs on US goods because, for example, the Chinese nationals are very good at taking directives from their government about boycotting foreign imports. So Beijing could quite easily discourage people from buying American products. Now, People say, well, I don't suspect that'll happen. But we saw it happen last year because when South Korea said it was going to deploy those wonderful um, anti-missile uh, technology, the THAAD, the, the people in China boycotted Chinese-made Hyundai cars. They stopped taking holidays to South Korea such that that market dropped by about 70%. And then they ignored the Korean-owned Lotta supermarkets that forced a temporary shutdown of over 50 stores. So that shows that the, the Chinese people will listen to their government. So if they were, and I'm not saying they're going to do this, but it's an option where they could say, okay, well, we're going to tell you to start you know, boycotting US stores. So a, a great example of that, they could boycott fast food chains like McDonald's or Starbucks. And, and of course, the Chinese market with 1.4 to stroke 1.5 billion consumers is enormous. What happens if they said boycott iPhones? It's a possibility. Okay, the iPhone markets dropped slightly in, in or more than slightly in China in, in the last year or two, but still it's a significant marketplace. And obviously then for US companies that have roots and foundations in China, the immediate you know the immediate loss of market access is going to hit them incredibly hard. I mean Starbucks were planning on doubling 
stores in China. Well, that's could likely to stop if that was the case. They could also prevent U.S. businesses starting up in China, which bear in mind that China is now in the process of rapidly opening up its markets to, to foreign investment. I mean, this is for all this idea China's a closed market. It isn't anymore. If you've got a great idea and you want to go and sell it in China, China will allow you to do it, even if it's detrimental to their own businesses, because what they say to their own businesses is, well, you're going to have to improve how you, you know, the products you sell, the services you offer to compete with these foreign um, companies. And they're quite happy to do that. That may surprise people, but that's become a reality. So, you know, the other thing is it could damage a lot of existing businesses. General Motors has actually done pretty well there in the last few years and it's increased its stake in the market well they could they could get impacted china could do even more people might say it's petty things but they could make it harder for us companies to set up bank accounts there or financial way of raising capital they could you know put really stringent customs and excise rules and regulations where they could apply it to the utter letter of the law with us imports they could have rigorous customs inspections. And if they want to write a whole new rule book for US imports and US companies, this is all perfectly feasible. And it carries on because they could also employ additional tax burdens on US companies. Even worse, they could disrupt US company supply chains. Now, a great example would be in, if they were to disrupt a production facility, say we found some violations, and then shuts down all iPhone production for several weeks, months or longer. Now, we're obviously, we're speculating here. We're not saying this is happening before anyone imagines that's actually happening. But they could apply that in, so, sorry, they could apply that across the entire tech sector. And what perhaps is a bit surprising is that all US business operations in China combined is at over 500 billion dollar market for US companies. So imagine if that's the squeeze starts to be put on that. We're worried about tariffs, we're worried about trade deficits. What happens if the squeeze is put on that? What damage does that do to the US companies in China? And how much money is and profitability is being accrued in China to offset problems they may have in the US or other markets in Europe, etc. I don't know. I can't say for certain, you know, whether that's the case or not. But, you know, China's always been very clear. We'll always play by the rules. But if the U.S. wants to hardball us, we've got a huge arsenal of economic missiles we can respond with. What's the other thing it's like when they put sanctions on Russia over Ukraine? Russia went fine. We'll just diversify our markets. Beijing could do the same thing. They could say, well, we won't deal with U.S. companies anymore. I know. Let's deal with Russia, Iran, the EU, Japan. South Korea, and yet and even North Korea in the process. And if U.S. businesses fold, what happens? The trade deficit widens. U.S. loses access to the biggest and most lucrative market in the world currently, whatever anyone may say in the process. And, and, and there we've just highlighted some a few examples of the kind of weapons that, that China has, never mind the fact that they can dump US treasuries. And by the way, they have dumped enormous amounts of US treasuries. They have nowhere near 1.2, 1.1 trillion US uh, treasuries anymore. That's just not reality. And as of other nations, I mean, we know Russia, Russia recently 
Well, actually, they, they didn't dump U.S. treasuries. They did something far more intelligent. But in the process, they, the U.S. couldn't refuse to allow them to do it. It was a very clever maneuver. But what have they ultimately done? They've just bought gold. Haven't they? I mean, there's never a bigger, clearer indication what Russia's intentions are and why they're doing it. We've just highlighted some examples there of why it's utterly foolhardy and, frankly, utterly ridiculous for the Trump administration to sit there and seriously say to the Chinese, one minute, OK, yeah, let's just back away from from putting tariffs on. Actually, do you know, ultimately, free trade's the way forward. Yeah, exactly. And then two minutes later, they're going, no, actually, we're going to hardball you and we're going to grind you into submission because, you know, because you're you're the biggest exporter, you're going to suffer more than us. That's not how it works. China will suffer far less because they have the markets open for diversification. I mean, this is what the U.S. don't understand, the Belt Road Initiative. They have so many more marketplaces to go to and to provide you know services and to buy goods and services from. That's been the whole purpose. Of, of the Belt and Road, but what also is not understood particularly well is China's very intelligently bought into all these, these countries across the globe, all these nations, all these trade deals, and all this investment in infrastructure, ports, railways, bridges, etc. because they also benefit that when they, get, when they get supplied from these nations, they own a stake in all these businesses. So they're actually making profit from exporting goods to their own country in the process so it's a double sort of whammy for them and it's great for these nations because they can say well we don't no longer need to to rely on the us for these, this market anymore we can quite effectively take our business elsewhere and the us will suffer precisely at the time when it doesn't when it's the last thing it needs and what have we seen as well which shows just how utterly rigged the the forex markets are just when the U.S. needs the, a weaker dollar, which it does ultimately, whatever happens, whether it's organically or via you know, a, a sort of devalued dollar, the dollar index is, is gone, it's going through the roof currently, and it's just rising and rising, precisely doing exactly the opposite to what the Trump administration needs. And the comments coming out of China are pretty damning because China's normally very diplomatic. They don't say a lot. They may, you know, they normally act rather than say things, but some of the comments they've made with respect to 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 um, Trump Trump administration is pretty damning. I mean, we had that 35 page report that came out um, that was titled, um, what was it? Yeah, it was titled How China's Economic Aggression Threatens the Technologies and Intellectual Property of the United States and the World. Well, the first interesting thing that came out of that is it didn't, they didn't actually make any specific policy recommendation. It was just attacking China, not saying, well, actually, this is what we're going to do about it. And it restated many old concerns. They talked about hacking, physical theft of trade secrets, and the evasion of export control laws. And they also said that there's, there's physical theft through economic espionage by company insiders and others who have trusted access to trade secrets and confidential business information. And this provides China with a significant means to acquire US technologies and intellectual property. And the whole tone of, the, of, the, of this 35 page report is essentially, 
the need for more a more aggressive stance towards China over trade. And, you know, it says also the Trump administration is considering measures that would restrict Chinese investment in sensitive American technology. It also accuses China of openly protecting domestic industries from competition and import through tariffs, regulation and restrictions on foreign ownership. Well, that's changing rapidly. China slashed imports on, on tariffs on imports hugely in the last few months. They have 8,000 products now that, that are in a free, effectively free trade, provided you sign a free trade zone agreement with them. Well, why doesn't the U.S. do that? It also says that China offers financial support to bolster its exports to foreign markets. Well, so what if it does? That's called economic prowess. You can't fault a nation for doing things that give it an economic advantage. And if, you're, if your attitude is, let's just bomb our way around the world and not do anything economically, you can't then complain when China in plain sight for the last decade, but particularly the last five years, has been doing exactly what it's been doing. I mean, it's pretty com obvious that if you go into all these nations and sign bilateral trade agreements, sign free trade zones and currency swap agreements, it's not rocket science what you know, China's doing. They're also concerned that Chinese state-owned companies pose additional threats to overseas firms, given their close ties to the Beijing government. Well, that's just an utter fallacy and nonsense. Well, it makes no difference. They're seriously telling me that big uh, corporations that operate out of the US, the UK, or anywhere else in China don't have that same influence exerted over them. Of course they do. And they're also saying that the government itself dominates many industries and plays this enormous role in investment decisions and strategy. Well, yeah, that's what a government should do. It should be there to ensure that money is invested wisely and brings a return for the Chinese nation as a whole. And, you know, they also said in the report until 2014, state-sponsored foreign investment funds were directed towards acquiring natural resources. Well, so what? China wants to invest and buy up natural resources and dump dollars. Well, seems pretty common sense to me. And and now they're frightened because uh, China's shifting its focus to technology whilst developing its own technology in the process. Now, what's kind of also interesting is there's this whole idea of this trade deficit, which is 350, well, no, about 400 billion last year between obviously Chinese imports, uh, well, Chinese exports to the, to the US and obviously US exports to, to China. Now, the question is, when you look at all the direct investment that, that U.S. companies make in China and the profits accrue, what is the actual reality of uh, the trade deficit isn't anywhere near as, as big as is being made out. But if you're going to start adopting these policies, all you're going to do is widen the trade deficit in the process hugely. So this is completely counterproductive. And what have we seen also that came that I actually found out because I went and had a discussion with someone about this. You know, the US complains that China obtains all this intellectual property and technology through underhanded means. Well, 81% of US businesses that were surveyed recently, in recent, I think it was earlier this year, said, we've never been approached about any of these matters. 17% said they'd agreed to partial intellectual property transfer with the agreement, bear in mind these companies have agreed they weren't stolen, it was an agreement. Well, if the US has 
issues with US companies, then take it up with the US companies. Don't take it up with China. And around and the remaining two percent reach no agreement and nothing happened. Well, that's in stark contrast to the reality between what the Trump administration's actually saying with regards to intellectual property theft and technology through these underhanded means and, and the actual reality of, of you know what's unfolding. And this is this is just seems continues to be the a never ending problem. I mean we could talk about the sanctions the EU is now taking against uh, the US, which is due to come into force shortly. You've got Canada, you've got Mexico and other nations. Uh, there's, there's companies already now feeling the pinch because of uh, tariffs being in, imposed. You've got the Indians saying, well, actually, we're going to start imposing tariffs in, in retaliation and they're due in August. And the list goes on and on and on. And I'm still I'm waiting for someone to convince me that any of this actually makes any sense. And what's China said? They said, and rightly, the biggest problem with such trade wars is it will obviously severely damage world trade. It hurts the interests of trading partners and it hurts domestic companies and people. And in this must hurt badly because Beijing actually said the US always uses other nations as scapegoats for their own problems. Can you really imagine even 12 months ago, six months ago, that China would have made such a statement about the US, but that's how angry they are. Because one minute we're having these positive negotiations, it's all constructive, we're doing really well, we're sort of breaking down these barriers to do with tariffs. And the next breath, no, actually we're implementing them again. And all the previous negotiations, as far as China are concerned, are off the table. We're, we're no longer going to implement those. And it comes back to the word we used Countless times in recent weeks, China cites a total breakdown in trust. If you don't have trust with the Chinese, you don't have trust with the Russians, you have nothing. You're ne they're never going to come to the negotiating table because their attitude's going to be, well, you negotiate things one minute, do something completely different the next. How are we possibly ever going to trust you? And you know, we could we could go on and on, but I think we've made enough points here that demonstrates eloquently that tariffs are the least of the US's problem. I mean, the fact of dumping treasuries, yeah, they could continue and they are continuing to dump it, but that all gets hidden. And and the reality is, I mean, even the tick report says we can't validate this information is correct. Well, no, because it's not correct. It's pretty obvious. Also, who's actually been buying US treasuries in the last three or four years? How many foreign nations are actually buying them? Very little. It's all largely being either bought internally in the US or the Exchange Stabilization Fund is the one buying up all the treasury. It's also the one acquiring all the dump treasuries because they're just trying to hide the reality of what's going on because it's the age-old question. It's everything about confidence in the dollar. When you have no confidence in the dollar, then it's game over. The cabal's dead and buried, and that's what it's always been about. That's what everything that we, we see unfolds about. So sometimes I get people saying, well, this is boring. It's I don't see, so what? Who cares that this is happening or that's happening? Everything we cover has relevance and importance. We put an article out today on the website. It's worth reading, and it's worth reading for one reason, because it shows you the future technology to, and the massive amount of investment that comes into it. It also possibly gives an indication, well, 
if people are looking for future, I'm not suggesting people do this, but I'm going to go away and study this in more detail because the question is, how, what investment opportunities does that provide people in the future? These, this is why we put things of everything we talk about, everything we post in podcasts on the website, they're all relevant. They're not sensational. They're not uh, clickbait. They're not exciting. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not telling you everything's going to crash tomorrow. It's going to happen last week. It just builds the picture of what's going on. And that's why we do it and why Rogue Money does it and other people do it. And I've probably talked nonstop for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I should stop for a minute. No, you're on a roll, man. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Paul, what's your latest take on what's going on in Syria? The Battle of Dara yeah, well, starting. Yeah, the whole look, the whole the whole Syrian question is, I mean, it comes back. This is where this whole dysfunctional U.S. approach is, because we're not going to go on about Duma and the, the chemical weapons attack or the fact that there are other chemical weapons attacks being prepared. And the Syrians have complained about this and the Russians or the fact that Trump, as soon as Trump said we're, we're pulling all the troops out of um, uh, you know, Syria, then all hell broke loose. But southern Syria, yeah, it's a it's a big hornet's nest. I mean, I did cover this off recently for our podcast subscribers in a lot of detail. But but the gist of it is that in essence, there's there's the U.S. has talked for a while about pulling out of Al Tan, their base in the south. They've talked about the fact of of trying to maintain these de-escalation zones. But the Russians, the Syrians, know full well that there's elements within the US military, whoever they are, who are sheltering rebels, they're sheltering Daesh operatives, they're allowed to go and, you know, sort of run these these operations, sort of wildcat operations, these go, go and blow something up and dash back into this de-escalation zone and and hide in there. And the Russians have complained about this, the, the Syrians have complained about this. And then there was this whole idea of, well, from the, the Israelis, well, can you move the Iranians out of, of this region? Even though the Iranians have no battalions, uh, effectively they are just there in, in a monitoring force and an advisory capacity. And the Iranians go, well, we don't care. What well, if Syria wants us to move out, we'll do it. And the, the problem is, there's no, doesn't seem, there's a total impasse here between what obviously the US are doing there. And it's got to the point where the, the Syrians are now saying, well, we've had enough. We want to, we're going to start, you know, you either do it by two options. You either do it with reconciliation and we, you know, we end this, the war there, everyone moves out, the Syrian army moves in and, and that's the end of it. And peace and stability can start to be, you know, uh, well, reared, well, the whole object of putting peace and stability in the region is achieved, which they've done in huge swathes of the rest of Syria in the last year, year and a half particularly. Or the option is we're just going to go for direct confrontation. And now the Syrians have gone, we've had enough, we're going for direct confrontation. And the question then there is, well, how is that going to square up? Because the US have said, we're not going to tolerate your, you know, your interference in de-escalation zones. And the Syrians are going, well, we're only going in to destroy the terrorists and the so-called rebels that you're harboring in these regions, we're going after them to end them. Because if we don't, 
they're just going to keep peering, you know, blowing something up, having some skirmish, and then running back and hiding in this kind of neutral zone where no one can touch them. And that's, that's not going to carry on anymore. And, and then, so of course, the question is, what is, it, what is going to end up happening? Well, it's looking more and more likely that you, we're going to start seeing the risk of, of the US almost in direct conflict with the Assad force, which, which is not, which was never supposed to happen. But it's almost at that situation where that is going to happen. And then the question is, well, what, what are the Russians going to do? They're not going to sit there and tolerate um, the Assad forces being, being, you know, blown up or whatever by US forces. So it, the question is, this could develop into a pretty nasty war in, in southern Syria. I'm, I'm not sh- I mean, ultimately, I think something will get resolved. There's huge ongoing discussions between the Syrians and the US and, in fact, the Iranians are involved and Hezbollah's involved and um, and there are moves to try and stop that happening. But the Syrian argument, I think, is they've had enough. And after seven years of, of uh, the worst civil war, um, the, the people can imagine. I mean, what's been reported in the Western media or any media is probably a fraction of just how bad it's been for for the Syrian people. Um, has to come to an end at some point, and largely it's over. I mean, yeah, there's problems still in the north of, of Syria, but unfortunately that's where the US has a present. Okay, Turkey's there as well, which is kind of muddying the waters a bit, but there's a whole side story about Turkey, which we may cover off at some point in the future, but that's for another day. But they basically the sandwich in the middle is largely being cleared. But yeah, there, there's there's a real risk this is going to turn into a bit of a hot war. And uh, but I, I I just wonder if you know the Trump Trump himself wants all the troops out. He wants he's had enough of Syria. He's had enough of all these military bases around the world spending. Well, who knows what the annual budget is that's been blown on on just that is of no benefit to the US. He knows that. But again, it's the dysfunctional policy simply because there's too much neocon influence on foreign policy in the US. Okay, it was neutered over North Korea. Basically, Bolton was, was you know, chopped off at the knees in Singapore, and that was the end of that. But but there's still that that risk of of you know attempting to destabilize things in Syria. I wouldn't put it past the neocon influence trying to destabilize things in over the Korean Peninsula. Still, they'll keep going and they'll keep going because that's the only language they understand is conflict, war, and and they don't want any resolution to anything because otherwise they have no justification for being there. And and then they can't go and say to to the Trump administration, by the way, we need this massive increase in budget for our military because Trump turns around and says, well, I'm pulling all the military out. We're not having hundreds of bases all around the world the, the days are over the excuse for the for, for the military budget goes out the window and rightly so because if the u.s stops spending hundreds of billions of dollars and reinvested it in the u.s economy and infrastructure that's a far more benefit to, to the u.s people than what they're currently doing trump knows that but the problem is it's again trump says one thing and something else happens uh it's it's without laboring the point of China again, I don't really understand why he's doing what he's doing because he's, he's had perfect opportunities to back away from it and walk away from it, but refuses to do so. But he played a, he played a very good hand over North Korea. Kudos to him. I think he did things excellent 
reasonably well, and I'm pleased about how things have progressed there. But in terms of Syria, he seems to be trying to force the point. But then he does things like, well, actually, no, we're just, you know, there was a chemical weapons attack. Oh, we're just going to go and have a missile attack on, on Syria. I mean, over the whole doom of false flag chemical attack. So it's very hard to understand. But yeah, there's a huge risk that something nasty could blow up in in southern Syria. And uh, but again, it's this completely contradictory attitude because we keep hearing on the sex breath the u.s is saying we're going to pull out of our temp we're going to leave the area and and that's it we're going but as as uh, Assad has said well yeah you keep saying that but you're not doing it and why aren't you doing it why on the one hand are you saying you're going to do things and then suddenly you know it's like a, it's like you can guarantee if trump came out and said tomorrow yeah we're going to pull out of our temp i'd give it a week or two and there'd be another False flag chemical weapons attack, probably in Deir Azor region or somewhere like that, blamed on 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 Assad forces within it, just to try and justify and derail Trump and start getting him thinking. Oh well, we might have to launch another um, missile attack to to demonstrate to Assad that we can, we don't tolerate this, and this is the problem. And it, it's ultimately who is who's pushing Trump's buttons with regards to foreign policy at times. Well can only be the neocon influence because this is textbook neocon behavior it is neocon behavior and uh, you know what's tantamount is that there's no real strategy the u.s has i mean did you did you hear about the the fact that uh, they changed uh, pacific command into the name pac uh indo-pac-com indo-pacific yeah, yeah. command it's well, yeah, all yeah, exactly. More inflammatory. Well, yeah, because as you you pointed, you said earlier, because I caught the tail end of the morning show, well, the last twenty minutes or so was that's just going to antagonise the India in the process. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, no strategies, nothing whatsoever. It's it's it's. There's what people say. Oh, the deep state's dead. No, they they seem to be uh, flaring up here. Trump just, you know, the the refunding. I mean, Paul, what's your take on this? The, the the fact that reauthorization of funding for the white helmets. <laughs> well, yeah, exa- well, you know, exactly. I mean, it is. I mean, this is the strange thing that the Trump administration put a stop on it because they had concerns about where this funding was being used. And we all know exactly what the white helmets are doing. I mean, if if I don't know, was it? 30 um, Syrian people went to The Hague and gave testimony and statement saying exactly what the White Helmets were doing over this complete doom of chemical weapons debacle. I don't know. I don't know what else people need to understand about that. So, yeah, they, they had this investigation. It's all great. Then they're going to get to the bottom of this. It's going to be the end of the White Helmets. They're going to be discredited. It, or they may just die a death and, and we won't hear from them. But in any case, if they stop doing what they're doing, that's the most important thing in the short term. Well, a few weeks go by, and then suddenly out of the blue, no, we're funding them $6.6 million because they're doing all this great, wonderful work. I mean, the statement that came out of the White House was, was just ridiculous. And ultimately, what's this going to do? Because at some point, the reality of what the White Helmets are doing is going to come out in public, and it's going to be very damaging to the Trump administration internally because people are going to go, hang on, you told us this. And this is happening. It's rather like constantly saying how great the U.S. economy is. Now, at some point, those comments are just going to bite him very badly. 
we know we all know this is a reality he needs to stop saying things that could potentially in the future blow up in his face and actually there's no there's no excuse there's no justification for financing the white elements again because you can guarantee what what are they going to do i mean almost immediately after that was announced there was concerns expressed out of syrian and russian intelligence that chemical weapons attacks were or provocations as they refer to them were being planned is this a coincidence no absolutely not and and this is the problem you you just have to look at the reality i mean look, all of us can look at this we know exactly what they're doing what i don't understand is is what intelligence is is trump being fed to buy this it it just it makes no absolutely no sense because they put the brakes on it because they had concerns that there were problems with what they were doing it was couched in very diplomatic terms but enough to suggest there was serious concerns with regards to how you know the white helmets were operating what they were actually doing in syria and you thought great and as we said and then suddenly they just do this huge 180 turn and go no we're financing it and you know, i'm sorry we can there can be all manner of reasons given as to why this is happening now the reality is it's happening because the us is making another very bad policy decision and like we say we'll praise them i mean i can't praise trump enough for how he handled north korea it was it was brilliant he did supremely well there but when it comes to things like financing the white helmet sorry there's no excuse and with regards to, to trade policy in china there's no justification i'm not going to sit there and and try and justify what trump's doing but as though there's some great grand conspiracy game going on there isn't china are livid and if the u.s doesn't if the, the u.s stopped doing this tomorrow china would walk away and say great let's stop it but if they want to keep playing this game china will just grind their nose into the dust because they have all the economic weapons to do this it's i don't know why anyone in the u.s imagines otherwise but then it keeps coming back to the point i get a lot of stuff sent to me which is from economists and analysts and people they still don't understand what the Belt and Road Initiative is. They still think the dollar reigns supreme. They still think the US economy is strong. They believe all these things. They don't see the reality of what's unfolding. And I think that's part of the problem is there's people inside the Trump administration who will sound convincing enough that Trump believes them. Even though when in reality, when before he came into office, what was he saying? Unemployment's at 20 odd percent. Everything's rigged. He said all this, then he gets into office and suddenly he forgot any of that's happening. And now he toes, toes this kind of line of, you know, we know, we know inflation's infinitely high. We know the, the US, the UK has been in recession for 10 years. This is irrefutable. This evidence exists. You know, unemployment, I don't know what it should be in the UK, but it's 20 odd percent at least in the US. I mean, Here's the question, if anyone tells you it's otherwise, ask them why 96 million American people are economically inactive. There's your answer. If they can't give you an answer to that, it's because unemployment's not 3.8%. And, and it, it, it just is it's very frustrating. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Forget the fact damn near 96 million Americans are unemployed. Forget the fact 42 million are food stamps. Forget the fact that 101 million are receiving some sort of governmental welfare. The economy is doing great, Paul. I don't know what you're talking about. Forget the fact when you take all those numbers and granted there's some overlap, you're talking about 52% of the country is effectively non-productive. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, this is this is this is all kind of irrefutable um, evidence that proves that this is the reality of what's going on. But we're back to the point, and and this is the frustrating part is that you know we've got people who listen here who understand what's going on, there, except but we're still struggling with in trying to get convince a lot of people this is reality because they just want to hear that everything's fine and you know it's all going to get resolved tomorrow well it's not it's i said this four or five years ago the cabal's dead and buried it's over but it's going to take years to come to to resolve and and it will but it, the process is accelerating in some ways particularly from the east i mean the East and uh, and Russia and nations like that, they live in a different world to the rest of us because they're already well through the reset process. I mean, Ch Russia's already had its reset. It had 10, 12 years of dire e economics after the fall of the Soviet Union. It's been through its reset. It's had all the pain. Now its economy is incredibly strong. I mean, if any Western nation had an economy like Russia's got currently, we'd all be you know, foaming at the mouth with joy about how wonderful and what an economic miracle it was. And yet, most people's perspective is Russia's a fourth, fifth world economy. Its country's collapsing. It's finished. It's, it's economically destroyed. The reality is, it's exactly the opposite. And this is, this is the problem we have in, in convincing people the reality of what's happening. And all we ever deal with is reality. And the, the proof of the pudding is, and without blowing our own trumpet, we spent years making statements. And... Nearly every time we've ever said anything, it's, it's come to pass. It's become a reality. It's exactly what's played out. Well, for me, that's the only basis of criteria about whether someone's successful or isn't. Making a load of wild statements that come to nothing. It, you know, if I kept doing that, I'd stand there and ask myself, why am I doing this? Because it's pointless. It, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't achieve anything. Uh, I, it, because, I mean, it's just, it's just pointless. What we're trying to do is demonstrate what's happening. And every day of every week, there are more and more developments, and they're all very, very relevant and important. But the trouble is, there's all these sideshows going on. I mean, don't want to labour the Horowitz thing too much or go into any detail. But in the nuts and bolts of it was, it raised just fundamentally how utterly screwed the FBI and the Department of Justice is and how much branch and root reform it needs. But in the process... It's just opened up a whole can of worms of all these other myriad of investigations that need to happen. Whether they happen, I don't know, but they need to happen. And what's the process? How how long is that going to take to conduct those investigations and uh, end up adjudicating people in accordance with law? And this is the problem. This is what this idea. Oh, well, just someone blows a whistle and everything happens tomorrow. It's never going to happen. It never was. It never will be. Yes, in the end, some of the obvious people will be brought to justice. The obvious people will be adjudicated and will be sent to prison accordingly. But it's not all going to happen overnight. If you don't follow due process and law, these people will, will escape on technicalities. I know we labor this point periodically, but it's extremely important to mention this. So dissecting everything to do with the Horowitz case doesn't really tell us anything, you know, We've already discussed this. We knew all this two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that the dysfunctional nature of, of Western governments and all the apparatus that supports those governments. We know all this. Horowitz didn't really tell us anything we didn't already know. 
all it's highlighted is this major problem, structural problems in the FBI and the DOJ. Now what's going to, what's the follow-up? What's going to actually be done to remedy these problems and, and actually deal with people who are responsible for these problems instead of just saying there's a problem and then there's a big hullabaloo about it. It dominates the, the, the media for X number of weeks and, and then it all disappears and everyone forgets about it. I mean, there was all the Nunes exposure several months ago. Everyone was told it's a big bombshell. It's going to change everything. It changed nothing. Did anything? I've not seen any big material change because, yeah, it was it was pretty damning what was said, and it was pretty to the bone in terms. But nothing. There's been no follower, and this is what keeps happening. There's all these revelations about what's going on and the problems inside the U.S. administration. It's great. It's been said, but there's no follow up, and without the follower, it's meaningless because the people responsible just go, well, nothing's happened. No one's doing anything. It's not, it's not actually going to impinge on me, but at some point it will do, but it's not going to happen in this idea that suddenly one day we're going to see thousands of people all arrested and processed and adjudicated. How is that going to even be possible? I mean, how much is it, how much is it going to take to, to That's adjudicate? That's where you're wrong, Paul. QAnon's <laughs> latest post. Let me read you QAnon's latest post, Paul. This is where you're wrong. And this is why you don't you don't trust the plan, Paul. I'm going to show you why you don't trust the plan. Here it is. This is the latest post from QNN. Are you ready for this revelation? Far away. Boom, boom, boom. There it is. That's it. You know, I, I, I kind of had a lot. We had a lot of people getting in touch when I made talked about. Do you know what? I, I'm, I'm not going to even comment about Q anymore. People, I'll let people... I'm not going to tell anyone to what to believe. I'm not telling anyone to believe anything. Believe what you like. Think what you like. It's of, it's of no concern to me. If you want to believe things, that's entirely anyone's choice. It's entirely what a democracy should be about. I personally uh, will carry on doing the things I do, the things I know, the things I understand as to the reality of what's going on. And that's all I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to focus on anything else because... It's 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 just a waste of my time. I can't offer anything of any substance that will back things up or not back things up. But the things we do know about, we'll talk about. So we'll talk about China because that's hugely important for the U.S. economy. It's hugely important for the U.S. as a nation. These are important things worth discussing. But all the all the other stuff, we'll just leave it, and and I'll leave it to everyone else to discuss and chew over, and that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. For me, it's just it doesn't serve me any purpose, and that's equally my right to feel that way. It, I'm not telling anyone what to believe, but equally, people don't need to tell me what I should believe or take note of either. It works both. You know, it works two ways. People don't want to listen to what we're saying now. You know, fine, don't listen if you don't agree with me. Fine, if you don't agree with me, great. That's your. That's up to you, but. If you don't agree with me, come and tell me why. Explain to me why the things we're talking about are wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to hold my hand up and say, do you know what? I got this wrong. I, I'm perfectly happy to admit it. But until I see solid, concrete evidence of things, I have no reason to, to, to change my view on the things we're discussing. I mean, if someone could prove to me tomorrow, which they won't be able to, that in fact China is playing this gigantic game and they're going to screw the Russians over, which I... And then they're going to rotate, uh, the Russians will rotate to, to the US. And, there's, and I've heard these kind of stories. Well, if that actually came about, I'd say, do you know what? We've completely got this wrong. And I have to hold my hands up and admit it. 
but that's not reality and that's why people wouldn't have believed the amount of information i get along in the most outrageous lines of things that are supposed to be happening things that are happening things that are going to happen and i sit there and go okay well you know, where's the evidence for this and if i see some evidence of it i'll discuss it i'll talk about it in the podcast i'll talk about it here if i don't see any evidence of it i just park it i've got a file that's literally the equivalent of hundreds of pages of stuff over the last three or four years which if I'd have talked about it and said this was happening, by now I'd have been totally discredited. That's how much stuff that comes our way and we have to sift through it and understand is the reality to this. So we just deal with realities. We just deal with what's actually happening because that way, for me, we're, we're actually giving value or some value and credence to what we're doing. Absolutely. Very well said. London Paul, we are at the end of the broadcaster. Please plug in your site, how people could join the serious report, especially the membership and the benefits of the membership. Go for it. Well, first off, we you know as ever, we'd like to thank Rogue Money. They've you know been great supporters of us and we greatly appreciate that. Yep. The the website's the seriousreport.com. That's S-I-R-I-U-S. Uh, and obviously, we have the website. There's a lot of free material on there. And yes, even some of the tedious stuff or people think are tedious are actually not tedious. They're very relevant. It may not be obvious. Fair enough. I understand that. But if people have got questions, get in touch with us. We, 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 we get some people who do quite often get in touch. But, you know, we encourage people to ask questions and get in touch. And we'll always respond to them eventually in time. We obviously have the Twitter page at the Serious Report. And yes, we have the, the podcast subscription service. We've now done 439 episodes, which we have had odd people who've joined and listened to every single one of them, which I, I applaud them for their tenacity to do so. But uh, there is probably equivalent, I think, now to about eight, 100,000 page novels of information on those podcasts. It's all detailed, it's all relevant, it's all how the world's unfolding, it explains things about what's going on, why they're going on, it provides insight into what's going to happen in the future and why it's going to happen. What we we've we never discuss things that we put in the podcast publicly anywhere because if people are going to pay and it is four dollars seventy five, which as far as I understand is cheaper than any virtually any competitor, if for want of a better word that we have out there but we make it cheap we make it affordable because we think people you know if they you know people don't have a lot of money we appreciate that so we try to make it affordable for people but we also have to make it affordable to us because it's a full-time job the truth is since christmas i've not had a single day off ever it's a seven day a week operation we have to go through a huge amount of work to provide the best possible information for everybody and for everyone who has subscribed you know we really appreciate your support because we do have problems, we, we, we don't talk about it very often, but there's a lot of resistance to what we're doing. There's people out there who'd like to shut us down and not have us talk about anything and make and not a, and get the podcast never to be uh, operational again because they don't want this information got out. So we have a huge amount of problem and resistance. We don't talk about it because everyone has their own problems, but it's worth mentioning we do have these issues. And it's and because people don't want us talking about the things because we deal with realities, we deal with what's going on, and 
we do provide information that you won't hear elsewhere and people don't discuss publicly anywhere else because that's the insight we have and we do talk to a lot of people we have a huge network of people that we talk with and we liaise with and we bounce ideas off and we talk about things to to validate what we think is happening and, and an understanding and that's no secret but we don't go into detail about that because there's no point we we think ultimately you judge by what you discuss what you write what you uh, put in podcast and your credibility relies on what you do and we feel we do a very good job and we get a lot of people who do get in touch and thank us for doing that and we you know we we'd like to and hope to continue to do this you know for the foreseeable future and as we go through the reset which is which is absolutely underway it hasn't it's not a question of it starting the reset's been ongoing for quite some time we're in the middle of it some senses since some parts of it we're getting towards the end of it but as a composite yeah we're 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 made significant progress through that and ultimately the reset really revolves around one thing the dollarization the death of the dollar is the death of the cabal is the end of the insanity that's run the world it's it and everything that revolves around that is part of that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul, thank you so much for being on, man. It's always a pleasure. Uh, it's always a joy to have you. And folks, again, you know, subscribe to theseriousreport.com. Very vital. In the midst of such nonsense and BS and confusion and, and craziness, theseriousreport.com, the membership there is vital. We here at Rogue Money love it. We are big fans of it. Big fans of Paul's work, and it's a treasure trove of highly valuable data without bias, without BS, straight from some of the best sources in the world. And folks, check it out, theseriousreport.com. And with that being said, folks, we are over and we're out. Take it away, CJ.